Hey everybody, it's Philcraft's Revival. You just changed the whole entire Sorry. intro. Hey guys, it's Philcraft. <laughs> oh, wait, hey guys, it's my. I don't even remember my, my I know. thing. Somebody actually DM'd me and they were like, it sounds like you're the new host, brother. <laughs> <laughs> never. Hey, guys. He'll uh, never give up control. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your co-host, Kurt. Yes. That was so my That normal. was so solid. Yeah. Uh, Drew, just keep that edit in there. Keep that. <laughs> don't edit that. Just leave that. Let it be organic. Well, here we are again. Here we are. A podcast. What's changed recently? What have we done recently? <laughs> Did we talk about we talked about Texas? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh well, SEMA is the big thing on the on the yeah the horizon. The horizon. Yeah, it's less than a week away. So tell everybody about SEMA. God, why do I have to tell everybody? Just kidding. That's your project, bro. It is. If it fails, you know who's getting the blame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think we're joking so right now? <laughs> uh, so SEMA, SEMA 2017. Uh, we are doing a overland build on my toyota tacoma for fieldcraft survival and it's going to be featured at the sema auto show in las vegas mike and i will be there 31 october to 3 november uh we're actually doing a free seminar as well uh, which some of you guys probably saw on social media uh, but we're doing this vehicle build we're super excited about it we've got a lot of sponsors involved and the reason why we're doing this is to actually sell the vehicle and take the profit and give it to a nonprofit that we support called Gold Star Teen Adventures. Gold Star Teen Adventures has basically the mission of helping take care of fallen special operations service members' children and their teenagers specifically, and to give them an opportunity to build a community together uh, with, you know, obviously like-minded kids and uh, who have experienced loss together, um, and then provide uh, avenues and venues for them to not only network but to also experience different things and that's why you know it's called gold star teen adventures is they set up different things to help these kids do different things uh, where they're going to enjoy themselves right which is super important uh, this cause is super important to mike and i we know this organization we know the man that started it we have a huge amount of respect for him he's still on active duty uh, he's actually a battalion commander in third special forces group and unfortunately, by law, he's not allowed to help raise money for the foundation, even though he started it. And so guys like Mike and I, and there's other guys in the community uh, that do this for other special operations charities. And we're going to step in and we're going to help out because they need money. Absolutely. That's, you know, all these nonprofits, uh, they they work off and operate off of capital. And if we could help them any way we can, it's the least we could do for all the guys that are paying the ultimate sacrifice in their families. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's the least we can do. And so we're excited about doing this and we hope that you guys will support it. Keep an eye on our social media. Uh, we'll have a bunch of video from the actual build itself, some interviews with Mike and I, um, and then we'll actually be doing a bunch of stuff at SEMA, taking pictures and video, up, yeah, video updating everybody on how it's going. And in about three to six months, we'll sell the vehicle. And again, the profit will go to the, to the charity. I think it's a really good cause. And I, you know, Kurt, did the whole thing and he ran with it. It's kind of his operation, uh, but Phil Kraft will take credit for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I appreciate everybody's support on the GoFundMe page that we started. It's on my profile link. You know, Kent's a great guy. He, he's got a great family. He's got a great following in the community. Nothing bad to say about the guy and only good stuff that he's done for the community and continues to do serving as yeah. an active duty Green Beret. Yeah. So we appreciate you, Kent, and your family. This episode we're going to do is on uh, the Black Rifle. It's the AR-15 episode, which is pretty cool because we've never done anything specifically about AR-15s. We talked about carbines before, but nothing in its entirety. Yeah. So before we get to that episode, let's talk about the news. <laughs> let's talk about the news. <laughs> well, oh, well, hold on. You, you got to at least always tell the beer. Me, yeah. What are we drinking? All right. So today's beer is uh, Kurt's drinking a Mercenary Double IPA. Yep, by Odell Brewing Company out of uh, Fort Collins, Collins Colorado. Yep. And I'm drinking a Maui Brewing Company Coconut Porter. I'd say Coconut Porter, you know, Mercenary is probably my top five. I'd say Maui Brewing Company is probably my number two behind Russian River uh, <laughs> yeah, Brewing, Company. Brewing Company's Pliny the Elder. Yeah. Pliny which you can only Elder. get in certain spots in the world. And we've been tracking it down in Durango. We've got a place. It's just always sold out. Yeah. I, we need to pick up a keg on the way back to Vegas <laughs> yeah. for that stuff. So, you know, in this episode, 
and like other episodes where we're adding structure and stuff, one of the things that we want to talk about is, you know, what's latest in current events, what's latest on social media, current events wise, what's, what's going on? What's the haps? Oh, dude. That I, Lindsey Graham thing. I could tell you about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, bro. <laughs> tell, tell, tell me. You. Um, so, you know, I know you want the good news. <laughs> So Lindsey Graham, you know, he's a, a senator from uh, South Carolina, South South Kakalaki, South Kakalaki. Yeah. But he was in a, uh, an interview or a uh, meeting with uh, defense um, secretary, right? Yeah. Mattis. Mattis and uh, Mad Dog. They were talking about what they need to do as an after effect of the Nigerian operation that, you know, people say we posted about this. This kind of crosses into social media. But one of the things that's been said in the media is that this is some unusual situation, right? Yeah. Americans die in a hostile environment in a foreign country. Well, you know, news to the media, news to everybody out there. This There's is this thing new. called uh, terrorism that's been the going global on. Yeah. war on terror. I think we've been doing that for a while, right? Yeah, we have completely. <laughs> and so, you know, what I want to—the only reason I want to harp on this is because I want you guys to understand from me and Kurt's perspective, being in special operations, working for AFRICOM, you know, special operations command Africa, me being in Niger, Africa, that it's not that simple, you know, and the, and the first thing to do where you say, we got to point the finger at somebody. Uh, I saw a headline this morning. It said it was a intelligence failure. The bottom line is you're, you're in a fluid environment with a whole bunch of shitheads fighting a war against terrorists. That's right. And, you know, the one thing I do agree with is, you know, which is the point of the Lindsey Graham thing is he said the gloves are coming off. Right. That the American people have to be more comfortable with the chaos in the continent because we're going to be actively pursuing well, bad guys. Yeah. I mean, this literally it, this is something I think we've hit on a little bit before. But if there's one thing that you take away from listening to this is understanding uh, that we are in a long protracted engagement that is gonna require our full attention uh, to be able to combat. And what that means is, is that it is going to require more Americans, uh, you know, to get involved, whether that's special operations or conventional military or whatever it is. But I would just tell you that, uh, that we need to be patient and we need to be vigilant and- Support. You know, and support, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and there's a reason why, you know, this goes back to us, uh, you know, specifically supporting special operations, nonprofits and charities is we live that life for a long time and understand that this war isn't going anywhere. We're going to be engaged for a long time because we're fighting an ideology. And so, and if we're not committed, uh, we'll lose. And so we have to be committed. Well, there are men and women uh, in that community that are committed and they will go and do the good work that's required to get the job done. And so, uh, you know, from Mike and I's perspective now, uh, we are on a in a support role uh, to be able to help enable that to happen and also help take care of these folks' families. And that's why, uh, you know, the SEMA build is important. That's why the GoFundMe is important is because this stuff is gonna be going on for a long time and these men and women need our support. Absolutely, that's a good sum up. They need our support and that's the bottom line. I mean, that's what we're trying to get across to you guys that the global war on terror is an active pursuit that's existed really since the beginning of special operations and really the beginning of time. So, you know, the counterterrorism pursuit, like you said, it's not gonna end and ultimately they just need support. Right. All right, so talking about social media stuff, What's some what's some new hotness on Instagram? What's some oh, new? God, there's lots of drama going on in Instagram. Yeah, world, huh? there always is. Um, yeah. I created some drama last night. <laughs> did you? With that post, the uh, which one? So I did. It's I did a post oh, uh, about not being perfect. Yeah, about not being perfect. You know, right. you know, you know. This is Mike's what do you think? relationship what do you... perspective. <laughs> I always give relationship advice. On Every this podcast. single podcast. It's my life, bro. It's my life. <laughs> I read your post because I'm super critical of everything you do. Absolutely. And uh, as you should be. Yeah. And and I know you typically I'm getting yelled at, though, for content. Anyways, the bottom line is, is that uh, I think it was a cool post, bro. I think, you know, we are vulnerable. Uh, we talk about shit for real because we don't we're not bullshitters and people aren't perfect. And you know, this expectation of perfection from people is an unrealistic one. And I think it puts people on the wrong path, whether it's relationships, work, whatever, right? You're always striving to be better. But the idea of perfection, I think, is a is a misinterpreted, poor uh, example of who we need to be. 
I, I don't know if it's that beer, but you're like spot on with everything right now. I, you're in the zone. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I think the problem I see is that everybody has an expectation that somebody, anybody, everybody is supposed to be perfect. Right. And they don't they don't look at themselves and then judge themselves. They're judging yeah, others. Yeah, you judgy fucks. Yeah, oh, exactly. Sorry, no, I like that. I like that. <laughs> I like that passion. It's absolutely right. You know, I've been given some um, relationship advice by some really good people in my life. And I think, you know. The, you can say my name, bro. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> some realities that I see, it's, it's like an alcoholic, right? You, which you are. You can be like, you can like this. <laughs> You're drinking like a 7.0 ABV, and I'm drinking like a 6.0 ABV. Well, yeah, bro. So I we mean, know you drink cool. I drink beer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man, I love this. So having been given this advice, just like an alcoholic, somebody who admits their wrongs, that's how you move forward yeah, in your rights. You got to grow, right? You got. That's how you get per the best personal growth is admitting your wrongs. And you know what? Something I've that's been thrown in my face recently. Mo not recently, but over over a period of time. Besides my D, go ahead. <laughs> not, oh, don't edit that, Drew. That's like awesome, man. You're on today. Damn, what's in that IPA? I'm in bro? the zone, dude. Adderall it's, a IPA. it's a double IPA. <laughs> it's double Adderall. <laughs> I think what's what's uh, what's funny is that you know I've acknowledged or I've I haven't acknowledged recently on that post. It felt good to post like, hey, I'm I'm a possessive dude. Yeah, I, you know that sounds weird. <laughs> like people were checking in on oh, me. God. They're like, "Mike, are you good?" I'm like, "Yeah, dude, I'm good." It's a social media post, number one. Well, the other thing too is it's okay to be humble. You know what I mean? We talk about humility all the time and how it does make you a good person. So, you know, you got to be. I mean, if you can't recognize your own faults, like you're probably not going to grow. And that's the point I was trying to drive home is, hey, you know, I am possessive. I, I Over things I love, I'm I'm possessive and controlling because I, that's how I love, like right. in, a, in a way. Is it right? No. Is it wrong? Maybe. Do I need to work on it? Absolutely. Do I need to be a better person and always strive for perfection, like you said? Absolutely, 100%. And, that's, and that was the idea of the post, right? The whole idea yeah. was like talking about personal things to you uh as an individual but then saying hey the goal is actually to to try to make yourself better each and every day right so, yeah yeah i mean I, what i did mention is the things that i'm good at which aren't really tied to emotion like you know running into traffic trying to save somebody running in a gunfire trying to save somebody those things like when you when you're with a person this shit's about to get real bro. <laughs> oh, when you're God. with a human being you have an expectation that there there's going to be a set standard of ways but at some point you have faith and you have love and commitment and you know you're gonna have an expectation that you're not perfect. Like your wife puts up with your shit, you suck <laughs> in a lot of ways. But she the, does. She's a good woman. Yeah. But the reality is that there's a a lot of things that we all need to personally work work on. Right. And to judge other people for their um, inconsistencies and not look at yourself is again not in line with being humble and having humility. And that's what we all need. We all need to get along. <laughs> we all need to get along. I feel like a tear's rolling down my cheek right now. <laughs> Mike's um, got a bib on right now. I do, man. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's a hanky. Here Mike, we go. Dry your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna do a podcast on relationships. You should. We should do a separate. Well, not we. You should do a separate one <laughs> <laughs> and make me fail. You watch me fail. <laughs> Phil Craft relationship survival. Um. Hey, bro. There's all kinds of survival. This one could be surviving the relationship. That's true, I mean? man. That's true. Shout outs. Do we got any shout outs for sponsors? Shout outs. Yeah. Shout out to Sarah for making uh, chocolate chip peanut butter cookies at her Ooh, last training event. Yeah, that was yummy. And her uh, darling sister, uh, Hannah, <laughs> and all of her <laughs> laughter. <laughs> uh, just kidding. We love you guys. What else? I don't know. I was completely unprepared for a shout out. We normally do it at the end, but there are some important people that we want to mention specifically uh, to the SEMA build, and that's Mountain Motion Media. They're located in Durango, Colorado. Check them out. They have an Instagram page. And then DGO uh, Automotive, which is actually an accessory department, which is part of Durango Toyota, who is also helping execute the SEMA build. That's all you got? That's all I got. Okay. Yeah, I think, you, you know, I, I want to do like Tim Ferriss style where he does it all up front. Ooh. Or just mentioning it in between because there's a whole bunch of people that sponsor yeah, us and support there, us. There are. And I feel like a shitbag every time we – I feel like we forget to mention people and – Yeah. The, well, you're a shitbag just generally <laughs> speaking. But 
on the podcast. I feel like you're on the defense right now. You were vulnerable know, in the beginning of the podcast. It's just relationship about, shit. Listen, bro, you're not perfect, so fucking Ooh. knock it off. <laughs> All right, black rifles. Black right. Let's get down to business, bro. Let's do this shit. Fuck this emotional shit. <laughs> All right, back to black rifles. All right, guys. So black rifles. What we're talking about is AR-15s. You know, I, I remember the first time that I actually read a book on black rifles, which was a book written by Kyle Lamb, Sergeant Major, retired from U.S. Army Special Operations Command who wrote a book called Black Rifle, Green Eyes, Black Rifle. That's right, yeah. And it was one of the best. If you haven't read it, I recommend that book because it gives you a lay of understanding um, what the AR-15 platform is and the most important things, uh, the optimization of that battle. Did you say lay? <laughs> I did say lay. Is that is that? Not? I feel like you're using big words, man. Bro, I'm all over it today, yeah. man. All over it. What do you got, bro? All over what it. What do you have? Mr. Perfect. I'm so perfect. <laughs> uh, what do you got? No, I mean, uh, no, good book. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. I remember seeing it, and then my wife actually, <laughs> my wife read me the title because I can't read. So, um, no. <laughs> no, but it, I mean, this is an interesting topic. So the AR-15 platform uh, has been around since I think it came into service. Are you reading off of Wikipedia? <laughs> No, what are you talking about? You want to sound like a dipshit or not? <laughs> so the AR-15 actually came into service in 1964 in the United States military. It's interesting to see the evolution of that process because, I mean, you look at social media and you look at all these businesses now and it seems like everybody's making an AR-15. Everybody makes accessories. It hasn't changed much, though. No, not really. I mean, you know, the early generations, there were some malfunction issues there, like during the Vietnam War, which are pretty uh, well publicized. And then so the, the weapon system evolved uh, from that point. You know, an AR-15, it's based off the M4 carbine version, which is based off the M16A1. Like Kurt said, it's an evolutionary process where companies like, you know, Stoner uh, and uh a Colt, yeah. were manufacturing these weapon systems, and they had some uh, a lot of issues early on uh, because the gun was gas impingement, right? With gas impingement, uh, for you guys who don't understand operating systems, basically means that the off gas or the gas that's exhausted through the combustion process of the bullet uh, combusting in the chamber, the bullet goes bang, there's exhaust that comes off it, right? That exhaust is gas. That gas is used to go into the gas tube to cycle the bolt. And it, it is this cycle of operation of how that gun works. The problem with that is when you impinge gas and push it back into the weapon system, you're also pushing carbon, which is the byproduct of a combustion, um, which is just you know basically gunpowder residue back into the uh, weapon system itself, which you know obviously in different environments like the jungle, something that's wet, what? Um, <laughs> the desert. Uh, <laughs> you're you're getting. You're killing me. I man. don't know, bro. You're getting to the point in which you're inducing malfunctions or or producing malfunctions more often than if you're using like a gas piston, which is or gas tappet like an AK-47. So if you're not a gun, I've been criticized this before because I talk gun lingo because me and Kurt are dumb 18 Bravos, Special Forces weapons guys. But the reality is, you know, it, early on, the weapon system had issues because of the operating system. We've kind of shook out a lot of those issues. And now today, the AR-15 is the biggest, largest, most capital driving tool in the arsenal of a weaponry. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, you know, leading this episode, some things that we want to discuss is one, you know, the weapon system itself. I've done a carbine episode before, but not with Kurt. And I think it's important to highlight number one experience, but also talk about how the weapon system has evolved into what you have now. And then again, give you these tangible takeaways of what you need to get in order to optimize your battle rifle, your AR-15. All right, let's talk about AR-15 platforms. When you, I remember seeing a picture of you when you were uh, a finance clerk in the 82nd. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your gun wasn't really tricked out. And then I saw another picture of you where you, you made it to Corlers. They let you in for some reason. Yeah. And then you had, you during the invasion of Iraq, you had a Colt M4 carbine, which is the civilian uh, version of it, is the Colt LE 6920. 
and you're utilizing that weapon system overseas. Kind of talk about like that gun and you know what's cool is about you were in the regular army. Yeah. Even though you're in Lurs, that's part of the big army, but you're you're in a specialized unit and your shit was tricked out compared to like the big army, right? Yeah. So when I started off in the military, of course, like when we got to basic training, we had the M16A2 and we trained iron sights, you know, there weren't any red dots or nobody at least in basic training or you know the the regular military the infantry was using that kind of stuff then and then uh, obviously you know with the advancement of technology and everything else so red dot sights you know running bipods on the rifle and doing a ready mag extra magazine carrier uh, we had a lot of different things to choose from so when i got to the 18th airborne corps long range surveillance company uh, obviously the mission set was reconnaissance and so uh, my first deployment with that unit was the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And so we all carried carbines and all of them were painted. And I've actually got pictures of, uh, you know, probably some of the pictures that you've seen of, of all of our weapons and our radios painted. And guys took that seriously. You know, the reconnaissance job was a, a serious job. Uh, we were set up in six man teams and, and that's how we operated. So, you know, with our ARs, they were all painted. You know, I had an M68 at the time, which was a red dot site. Um, and I also had bipods set up on that rifle. And then I also was, uh, had a ready mag, which you've seen in the photo where, you know, I kept one magazine in the magazine well, and then inside the ready mag, I actually carried an extra magazine that was kind of advanced back then for the infantry or, or anybody that was on the regular army side now in special operations, you know, guys have been running that stuff for several years prior. But for me, I mean, growing up, uh, starting off in the infantry with iron sights and then you know the the progression of that was obviously the red dot sight and then uh, Attachments that went on to the rifle, you know in the big army Compared to special operations. We have it's like the SOP mod accessory, right? Right? I don't even know what SOP mod stands for but you know basically a company called crane get the contract to basically accessorize and build out m4 carbines with the accessories in order to support, I think it's a NAV spec warfare they program. Are. Yeah. And then, you know, outfit basically SOCOM. SOCOM yeah. Program. But I remember early on, being a sniper in the commanders and extremist force when we were doing operations overseas, there was this big debate about how we were going to run our weapon systems. Because, you know, on containment, when you're a sniper, you're going to the rooftop, you're, you're containing a specific objective with a weapon system. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, you have a 308 gas gun potentially as a sniper, an SR-25, a nice armament rifle, but you can't run through the house of that thing. I mean, you can, right. I've done it before, but it's cumbersome, it's big, It's it, it just doesn't make sense to do it with. Yeah, the version that we had was too long. To it's too that. long, you know, right. it's like it was like the 18-inch version of it. Right, fixed stock. With a, with a suppressor, which made it like 24 inches. Right. And then, you know, when you when you look at that and what you have to affect, which is a couple hundred meters, it just didn't seem realistic. Right. And I've, I've written an article. In fact, I'll try to look for that article so I could post it up in the notes. But I wrote an article for uh, SoldierSystems.net that was posted through BCM and SoldierSystems.net about the evolution of the optimized designated marksmanship run, rifle. Yep. You know, we call it the DMR. Right. Which is basically... Hey, why do I need to carry a 308 gas gun? Which doesn't just mean carrying that rifle. I mean, you're carrying all the ammo, which is heavy, heavy, uh, bogs you down when you only have to affect a couple hundred meters. Right. So, took a battle rifle. And, you know, I remember this being pretty evolutionary in group, in third special forces group, because nobody was doing it. And we had to do a proof of concept to get this approved. But I remember me and Kevin, a, a sniper who's on active duty now, we're doing sniper stuff and we were looking at these weapon systems. We worked with the different groups and uh, US Army Special Operations Command and basically built a designated marksmanship rifle that had a different uh, rail system. Mm -hmm. Because the problem was on a Knight's Armament Rail, which is the standard issuing equipment for the SOP mod kit. SOP mod kit? <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah, I the did. Sop mod, yeah. yeah, you're excited. Oh, <laughs> it was a six. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. Okay, <laughs> it was a six inch version of it, right? Which everybody's carrying the six inch version, <laughs> uh, but we needed longer. You know, we we needed like the eight inch version. Um, so um, I have yeah, and the me. reason why was because uh, running our sights with night vision, they weren't compatible. Right, you couldn't fit 
a laser. You couldn't fit night vision. And then you couldn't fit a if, red dot sight. If you're packing eight inches, yeah. you could fit you so much more. You got to have at least more. 12, bro. Oh, you got 12? <laughs> um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the biggest stickler that we proved was, hey, if I was running, for example, an LCAN, a one to four, and I wanted to run a universal night sight, right. I, I had to have rail space on top of the rail plus my LA-5, my, my infrared laser, plus my uh, Surefire or white light. Right. So I needed the ability to run all that stuff. And the six-inch Knight's Armament rail space didn't provide that. Right. So we put on, I remember the first version of it, we actually put LaRue 15-inch rails mm -hmm. and actually had shooters put them on. And we actually got it approved. They said, hey, you could buy any kind of rail system you want. The Bravos can put them on, 18 Bravos can put them on. And we outfitted all of our guns with a designated marksmanship accessory system that included optimized rail systems. They wouldn't let us touch the triggers, obviously. Right. Different uh, flip-up sights that were light, lighter weight. And then we could run different battle grips, different actual pistol grips. Just all these accessories that just allowed us to run that gun with an optimized round instead of running a 308 gas gun. Yeah. It optimized our way of doing business, which, you know... The goal in special operations is to uh, to be as efficient as possible. <laughs> and, I like how serious you are. Right and now. I'm done. And I'm done. Uh, no more from Kurt today. No, but the cool thing, you know, that I was thinking about, I was thinking back to even the evolution of uh, of sites themselves. So if you think back to you know past conflicts where guys were using iron sights, and you know the ability and how quickly we we're able to engage threats. Just using a red dot site. I mean, if you think about that in and of itself was a huge advancement in technology. And again, you know, the idea of technology right in general is to make us more efficient. And so when these, you know, a good example is the M68, right? When that red dot site came out, the EOTech. And then there's been several other ones that have evolved. The micro T. Yeah, yep. the micro T, uh, aim point micro T, all those things have, you know, just made guys more efficient on the battlefield. And so... There's been all kinds of things, technology-wise, that have been developed to make us more efficient, which was the goal from day one. You know, the biggest understanding that I have of special operations and utilizing AR-15s, if you want to understand what your AR-15 does, there's a few things that you have to do. Number one is you have to understand your barrel twist. You know, when we got issued AR-15s in the big army, they were all one to nine. They're one to nine NATO standard twist because it was a 14.5 inch barrel. It was expected to throw out a 62 grain grain tip and also a trace around. And so they were developing these faster barrel twists in order to compensate for that. As we progressed through the evolution of warfare and, and everything else, we came out with the one in seven twist, which is known as a SOCOM barrel or the SOCOM edition, which was a part of the SOPMOD accessory kit. If you're looking to optimize, you have to look at the relationship between the barrel twist. Barrel twist means it's doing one rotation every seven inches of that barrel. So if you're looking at a 14.5 inch barrel, it's doing two full rotations through that evolution, which is an optimal correlation with an optimal bullet weight, which is a heavier round. Ever to shoot a 55 grain, for example, bullet weighted round, through a one in seven twist barrel, you're wasting and you're losing the potential of that weapon system. What I typically tell people, because I, you know, I have experience doing this with looking at the drops and everything else. When we were using one in seven twist barrels, we were using 75 grain Hornady downrange. And we were seeing the best kind of trajectory or the, the flattest trajectory pass, which means the least holdovers um, when we're shooting that round with that barrel twist. Anything from 62 grain all the way to 77 grain LR, you're looking at optimizing a one to seven barrel twist. The only thing you have to do is basically, when you get a, an AR-15, look at the barrel weight and then look up online, Google it, uh, <laughs> and see what the optimal bullet weight is for your barrel length and your barrel twist. Because then you could basically reduce the ability of you holding over grossly to be able to engage the target. Because remember, an AR-15 in the book, it has a point effective range of 550 meters, an right. area of like what, seven something? It's 800 yards. 800 yards for uh, area and, and 550 for uh, direct. So it has the ability to reach out and touch a lot of targets. Yeah. When we were at Todd Hodnitz, 
we were shooting optimized battle rifles, AR-15s, with 77 grain, 75 grain, out to 1,000 meters. Mm -hmm. And people were like, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah, there is well, a way. with ballistic calculators and Exa exactly. technology. Well, and the right run. optic as well. Let's talk about optics because I know, you know, people are like, what do you guys run? Yeah. What, what's the preferred optic? And so, we run BCM rifles right. and different variants of barrel length uh, and sizes. What's the recommended uh, optic for you for a 10.5 inch uh, barrel? First off, okay, we're talking 10.5 inch barrel, which is a short barrel. But the first thing that I would tell listeners is that, hey, what are you setting the rifle up for? Yeah. Are you a sports shooter? Are you an active duty guy? Uh, are you- Trained for the law, middle. Yep. Yeah, are you a law enforcement guy? Are you training for the military? What, What's kind of your end state uh, with building the rifle? And so the first thing that I'll talk through is red dot sight. So the goal, right, there's lots out there. So how do you differentiate between what you should buy and what you shouldn't buy? Uh, one, I look at ruggedness, like, hey, is that thing actually been ruggedized? So uh, what I'm always thinking, you know, in the application that I've used it in the past is if I fall and it hits the ground, is it going to maintain zero? Can it take an actual impact? Um, and then sometimes, you know, uh, the unrealistic expectation would be like, hey, that thing's still functional after I fall out of a helicopter or something like that. And it smashes on a rock, right? But looking at all these things, um, a red dot sight. So when I look for a red dot sight, I want it to be ruggedized. And then I also want to be able to dial the red dot down um, to a very low setting where I can still see it to allow me to refine my aiming point during zero. So, you know, typically most of them, you can dial them all the way up and there's this giant red dot in there. It creates a bunch of splash. It's easy to overlay on a target and you can engage the target. But the reason why we want uh, a smaller dot is, is the ability to refine zero. And so, um, you know, what that can typically look like is uh, lesser quality red dot sites have a higher minute of angle red dot, you know, so when you're looking at these things, uh, you know, the less amount of minute of angle in the size of the dot actually translates into being able to refine a better zero, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Um, so with red dots, that's kind of what I'm looking for. What's the application of a red dot? Well, it's efficient and it's efficient for speed shooting. Short range, right? Yeah, exactly. Short range stuff, CQB, you know, I've used those red dots out to three, 400 meters and I think they're still effective. There's several other applications, but the big one is doing CQB. And for quick engagement type stuff, it allows you to index a target quickly. Um, when we start talking about other sites where we get into magnification, what's the right magnification for a barrel length? There's a lot of different variables there. For a short barrel, I'd probably be running a red dot. So a 10.5, I'd be running an EOTech, uh, a T2 micro dot from Aimpoint. Um, those are probably my two favorites. That's what I have experience with. And so, you know, that's what I'll talk about because that's what I have experience with. And then as we move up in barrel length, typically, uh, you know, a good example is I run a BCM 16 inch recce rifle. If you've been to any of the courses, you'll see that I'm running a uh, Vortex 1 to 6 Razor HD2, um, which I actually like a lot. That thing can be dialed down uh, almost to zero power. And with technology and efficiency and everything else that's built in now, they've really dialed down on Parallax, which if you know about Parallax, the basic description of that is, is it, it is a distortion that can actually affect uh, your ability to zero and can actually throw your shot off. Look it up um, and you'll probably get the, uh, you know, the 10 paragraph answer to Parallax, but, um, but it does definitely have an effect. I know a lot of site manufacturers have been working to, you know, to make their sites parallax free. There's been a lot of debate back and forth whether or not that's true because you're actually taking uh, different pieces of glass. You've got reflection that affects how the human eye sees a dot, a reticle, whatever. So with my 16 inch rifle, I run that Razor HD2 from Vortex. Fantastic sight. I like it a lot. It's pretty ruggedized. I am not easy with that rifle. We use them in our courses, doing stress shoots and all kinds of other things. They're working rifles. Yeah, exactly. Battle rifles. Exactly. It's a battle rifle. I don't baby my equipment. So that way, when I come back and tell you as a listener, hey, this is what I recommend getting, I know that this thing has been through the, the trials. We're running two different versions of BCM's rifles. We run the 10.5 and we run the 16-inch, depending on the distance. And the same thing is applied to a combat operation. If I'm doing 
if I know I'm going to be an insulter. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. Absolutely. And so you you're think- a tool. <laughs> I knew we were going. Ah, there. sorry. Uh, we were <laughs> such on a good line. I'm sorry. I messed it up. If I'm doing CQB, I'm an assaulter. I know I'm hitting an objective. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry a 10-inch gun, and I'm going to you know, do CQ, good CQB all the way top. I'm doing containment. I can still affect targets out to 500-plus meters. But if I'm doing longer range work, I'm in a rural environment. You're in a rural environment hunting, etc. You want a little bit more barrel twist, you know, a faster barrel twist, like a one in seven. And you want more barrel length so you can get more rotations of that gun. Right. All right, so let's talk about lasers. Oh, boy. Ooh, lasers. You know, U.S. Night Vision makes an infrared and vis laser. And, and we use, obviously, L3s at Pell, which is the... Uh, Pack 15, right? Uh, which is you know obviously the evolution of the Pack to Alpha right. that we use, or the Pack Two that we obviously <laughs> use. But you know it's an infrared laser or vit slash vis laser that we can affect targets with night vision. Right. And I think that's you know that's a game changer, right? That's that's the thing that separates us from the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're just dumb. <laughs> um, we you know we won't talk too much about that because there's a lot of things that. I think in that realm that we kind of want to protect. Yeah. Um, but let's walk. Let's talk about uh, white lights. What white lights do you use? Yeah. So right now um, we've talked about about it a little bit in uh, some of our EDC and EDM uh, episodes. But I'm a huge fan of uh, on my person white light is the uh, Vampire, and then I actually like the Scout by Surefire, um, which is a white light and it's an IR illuminating light. You know, we recently received uh, some lights from Surefire. I've always liked that. Um, it's pretty low profile. It's small. One of the biggest things I look at when I'm setting up my rifle is I don't like a ton of shit on it because I don't want the fucker to weigh a hundred pounds. Um, I feel like it makes me less efficient and having a simplified battle rifle makes sense to me. So for me, you know, in my work rifle, I used to run backup iron sights cause I felt like that was the right answer all the time for a combat gun depending on what I was doing, because we were spoiled and I had several different rifles, I would run a red dot, an EOTech on my 10.5 inch barrel at work, uh, suppressed obviously. And then my 14 and a half inch, I would run an LCAN with a red dot, which is a four by magnified, a one to four power uh, scope. The only downside to the LCAN is that it actually has a BDC reticle. I'm not gonna jump into a ton of stuff with BDC. I am not a fan of a BDC reticle because Typically, the way they're made is they're tested at sea level with a certain grain of bullet, and they build that reticle based off of that. Now I'm going to. It's mechanical too, because let's right. use springs. Well, and well, the other thing is that it, if you go to altitude, it completely throws that reticle out of you know Sink. any real yeah real using. So. Um, there's a lot of different. Did you say real using? Yeah, I don't know what the hell I. Uh, you you should have went with sink. <laughs> <laughs> it throws it out of sink. You know what I mean. Whatever. No, but you know, without getting all sniper esque on this uh, this podcast, the BDC reticle, in my opinion, is not the way to go. Um, I'm still a Horace reticle guy, and you know, Todd Hotnet has developed other other reticles that are practical and make sense. Um, and so when you're looking at a magnified piece of glass for the AR platform, uh, all things to obviously consider and think about, Hey, if you're out there hunting and it makes sense to run a BDC reticle, I'm not speaking against that. I used it in a different application and that's just my two cents. On Killing it. people. Right. No big deal. If I had to describe, describe to you, uh, the, your favorite rifle and you had to choose it for an overall application, meaning long range, short range, basically the optimized battle rifle. Yeah. The end all be all. What would you use? I think at this point, uh, I, I've been extremely impressed with BCM. Um, BCM is Bravo Company Manufacturing. Right? That's right. Yeah. So BCM, uh, you know, we work with BCM, and it's and I've had the privilege to shoot a lot of different rifles, but I will tell you that I put BCM through the paces. Um, I rarely clean my rifle, which probably isn't the right answer for a, an ex uh, Special Forces Weapon Sergeant to say, but I've actually done that on purpose. Um, because I want to see how well the gun runs when I don't clean it. Um, Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I've had that rifle for probably over a year now and I've run it through, you know, tons of different courses, our training on the side and everything else we do. And I have never had a malfunction with that rifle. Never. And I've always been extremely impressed with that. So I occasionally do wipe the rifle down 
um, but I have not done a detailed cleaning on it and the gun still runs like a champ. If you're asking me what the perfect barrel length and everything else would be for a battle rifle or for a carbine in general, I think it's probably somewhere between a 10 and a half and a 16 inch barrel. So uh, the application for doing close quarters battle could still be applied. And also if I needed to make a shot um, at six or 700 meters uh, with that, with that 14 and a half inch barrel, I could do it. Yeah. You know, if I had to choose like right off the bat, number one is I, I would never go back in combat without a 14.5 inch barrel. I think that 16 inch recce rifle was probably the perfect balance of right. Uh, the practical application of doing CQB, going through a house, getting to the rooftop, providing long long gun support, or in your case, and in most people's cases, hey, you're utilizing this for an upgrade of your everyday carry, so you'll be your EDM, your everyday mobility, and then having that gun bagged out or locked into a position, you grab that gun, you have the ability of magnification, so I'm a big fan of the one to six, yep. and uh, by Vortex, and also having the ability to affect longer range targets with a reticle and magnification. And my perfect round would be probably somewhere in between a 75 grain and a 77 grain. I'm a big fan of Hornady. 75 grain Hornady to me is like gold. And I would run the 75 grain Hornady, maybe 77 grain. I would run, you know, Magpul accessories. I'm a big fan of Magpul accessories. I I'd actually run a bipod on my gun or a monopod for the ability to put that gun into a position. There's some cool accessories that are made with mat for magazines that allow you to lay that gun flat or you just get it flat with the magazine in the dirt. Also, I, I like ARMS, uh, the company ARMS, A-R-M-S, uh, their front backup site and their rear backup site because they're synthetic, they're plastic. Right. And you know, if you need them, they're there, but they're also lightweight compared to some of the other manufacturers that they're, they're pretty weighty. I also like the lightweight rail version of the recce rifle, which you can get inside. I believe it's aluminum. Anytime you can lighten the gun, uh, it's good because, you know, all these guns with the ammo and everything else can get bogged down by weight, which is something that we always think about. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point talking about. So here's what I'm not a fan of is um, and we talk about this at, at uh, our gunfighter carbine course occasionally, and it's like, Hey, there's tons of manufacturers out there and tons of um, equipment being made, you know, attachments for AR-15s. And I would just caution you to look at that stuff. And, and uh, you know, I'm not uh, discouraging you from buying something that makes you more efficient. But what I would tell you is that, um, hey, those businesses are out there. They need to make money. And I kind of feel like in a lot of ways that people have developed things for problems that don't exist. And so when you're looking at the AR platform, you know, this, this is kind of, it's, it may sound cheesy, but the old acronym of keep it simple, stupid in the military, like from my perspective, um, is actually good advice because again, uh, I want to be a efficient with this rifle. And when I need to carry it, whether it's a combat application or whether I'm instructing or whatever I'm doing, I don't want the fucker to weigh a hundred pounds. Um, there's a bunch of extra shit, in my opinion, that uh, that can be put on that you don't need. And so I'm a real basic guy when it comes to the AR platform. I like backup sites. I like a main site. I like a white light source, an IR laser. And that's really about it besides a, an adjustable sling. And so my personal favorite, again, was developed by a former sergeant major uh, in a tier one counterterrorist unit, Kyle Lamb. Um, you guys are probably familiar with him. He runs a company called VTAC. I'm a huge fan of the VTAC sling. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it pretty much will get done what you need done. Get done what you need done. Get done. I mean, that's the, the, uh, the motto of this episode is get done what you need done. You know, <laughs> get done what you need done. <laughs> All right. I sounded like I was from North Carolina on that one. No offense. Ricky Neil. Bobby. <laughs> Um, you need to get done what, what you need done. And when I'm spelling done, it's D-U-N, not D-O-N-E. You know what I'm saying? Oh, shit, dude. Are you drinking Budweiser? <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, you know I, you know what? We did an episode on carbines before. We talked about it uh, a little bit. We did. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about the carbine the is... The thing about our brains, though, is that I feel like 5% of what we actually know actually translates into the podcast. So yeah. we could do... 50 episodes on the carbine and, and then something new right always <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you know, the, the thing to understand with a carbine too and survival applications is, hey, how are you bagging that thing out? And, you know, Lucas from T-Rex Arms has some cool videos. It's actually a BCM gun. It's a BCM gun. That we hooked him up with. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're bagging out B BCM rifles in a bag. Look, you want something that's low vis or or it's not a huge signature. You don't want a full-size carbine in your back window on your uh, Ford F-150. <laughs> like the grandpappy's 12-gauge. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to put that 12-gauge in the back of the window and then lose your your $1,200 BCM rifle. If you're, you're looking at SPR, is it SPR? SBR, short barrel rifle, right. which inc which requires you to get a tax stamp from the ATF. <laughs> you're over here making weird noises and <laughs> shit, dude. Dude, I'm bumped up. <laughs> Black rifle. You got to get her done. Get her done. Uh, oh, sorry. All right, so if you're, if you're looking at, look at the fat boy. He's just like all over this shit. So look, what you want to do, is you want to get a rifle that you could break down. And two options that you could do is one, they have collapsible butt stocks that fold over on itself. You could actually shoot one round through it before you have to engage the butt stock right. because the buffer tube and buffer spring or buffer and buffer spring are inside the buffer tube assembly and you have to unretract it in order to shoot both more rounds. Damn, we're sounding we're super technical. Damn, we're smart. <laughs> yeah. Damn, 18 Bravos. Hold my beer. Uh, so uh, when you do that, uh, that's one option. But two, <laughs> two get, get her done. Yeah. Two, Just the, get her done. The second option is you want you could use the uh, the brace, which is a big scam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoever you've invented that brace, you're a smart mother ever. Yeah. Uh, so, so the brace, I think, was designed for people with disabilities. Disabilities, right? right? But the the reality is you could basically take a short barrel rifle. I think rifle. I saw you in downtown Durango with a disabled veteran license plate, like out in the street with your rocking dual arm, dual dual arm braces up in the air. I'm a fucking disabled veteran. <laughs> Pearls Sorry, running around me in circles. Yeah, we digress sometimes. Oh but. man, we're going off the deep yeah. end right now. But anyways, uh, the SBR version of that, you could run an SBR and then run that uh, brace on there. And then you could have a collapsible version, basically, that you could put inside of a bag. Yeah, so the idea is, obviously, uh, if you're going to run a carbine in your vehicle, just at least have a plan uh, to have that thing bagged out. So if you need to upgrade your situation, which we've talked about in everyday mobility, uh, you know, for example, if you're carrying a pistol and you need to upgrade to the carbine, that you have some type of mechanism or a, a bag or something like that where it's bagged out in the vehicle, um, and you can get to it and then employ it if you need it. I like it, man. I, I think it's a good episode. I think I think everything we talked about uh, is something to recap and the <laughs> shit that we need. Uh, I'm proud. I, I think everything. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> Dude, we're going off the deep end, bro. Sorry, bro. It's that time. Anyways, it's that time. We of get day. excited though. We talk about rifles and stuff and we get all. <laughs> Did you take notes on the back of an envelope? Yeah, it's one, sorry, it's one of your bills. It's uh, don't yeah. look at that. Don't call that bill out. This is probably overdue. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in to us and the shenanigans. Yeah, the we've got to tune out now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, there's a beer limit on us. We're yeah. lightweights, man. We're at eight thousand feet. That's why. That's true. Yeah. Anything? That, that anything exceptional that you want to talk about? Um, no, nothing. <laughs> I got no. nothing. Hey guys, just. As a reminder, you heard it in uh, the beginning of the podcast with the SEMA build for Gold Star Teen Adventures, um, something that Mike and I are super passionate about. Please follow that on social media and everything else we're doing. Uh, just know that uh, we look at ourselves as being positive role models. We're not perfect, uh, like Mike talked about initially. Did we talk about that in the podcast or was that something else? <laughs> we talked about that in the podcast. Yeah. Um, we're not perfect, but Hey, we're striving every day to be, uh, better dudes and, uh, you know, for the tribe. And, uh, and we hope that all this knowledge that we gained over, you know, long careers in the military and all the different places that we've served, uh, will serve you in some capacity, whether it's mindset, you know, gear planning, uh, whatever that ends up being, we hope that you're getting something out of this. So thank you for tuning in. And of course, as always, we appreciate your support. You know, something that I want to mention is this November 18th and 19th, we got a course in Phoenix, Arizona That's with right. uh, Courses of Action. The collab. So we got, uh, you know, Johnny from Courses of Action. Uh, we went through Special Forces uh, training together. We were in third group together. So he's part of the third group mafia, which is pretty cool. 
And uh, if you guys want to tune in, see that, if you guys want to sign up because I've been asked about it, sign up on Courses of Action's website. That's right. He's doing all the uh, the signing up for that course. And it's actually, you're looking at $700 for two days of training, which is going to be a gunfighter pistol and a gunfighter carbine. Uh, we're doing that uh, right now at Cowtown in northern Phoenix. And so if you want to sign up for that, please check out Courses of Action's website and you can sign up there. Yeah, man, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, like always, you know, if you guys want to read more about us or hear more about us, we have social media at Soft Survivor, at Philcraft Survival, at Kurt underscore <laughs> Team Philcraft. Who the fuck are you again? Who are oh, yeah, you? you're the co-host. Um, and then we have, obviously, our PhilcraftSurvival.com where you can get swag. If you want to support us, you know, like I tell everybody, all the stuff that we do is for free, man. We we don't make any money off podcast. Uh, we don't get paid really anything. We're we're homeless. <laughs> we're actually recording this in a cardboard yeah. box outside of my. We're actually in a Pinto right now that Mike bought. <laughs> yeah, basically selling his ass on the side of the street, <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty penny. Um, if you you know Asian ass goes for a pretty penny on the yeah. black market. Well, you guys have all these special skills too that you know other people don't know about. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> when it comes to the sex trade, Google right. Bukaki. Now, yeah. <laughs> now we're going down the rabbit hole. No, nah, you went down the rabbit hole on that one. If you guys are interested in what we're doing, uh, PhilcraftSurvival.com and also our social media is where we post all the relevant impending things that are going to happen with us. The impending. Impending doom. Ah. If you want to be part of the tribe, which I think you should be, text survival to 55498 or go on to our website and there's a subscribe link where you put your email in. You know, the tribe is a community of like-minded individuals that are just looking to better their lives and modern survival, which is all the things that we believe in. Yeah. Are we done? Is that all you? Is that all you have? <laughs> is that all you have? Uh, I think no, no. Actually, I was thinking about something else, and that's hey, we appreciate you guys DMing us. We appreciate uh, the different ideas that you share with us, and uh, hey, keep doing that. I check mine. Mike doesn't check his. <laughs> um, no, that. but no, it is good though because uh, we want to know what you guys think and what you want to hear about, and and if it ends up being us just bullshitting, hey, let us know because we've done some of those episodes as well. <laughs> Gladly do those yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Mike's relationships. Oh! <laughs> that's always fun. No, but uh, I think I think that rounds it out, bro. It does, man. Yeah, uh, I think uh, until next time, stay alert, stay alive. <laughs> Don't cut that, Drew. <laughs> <laughs>